37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Happy Saturday, and welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal, episode 204. We hope you guys are all having a lovely, lovely weekend. I am Sean. Should stop spending money on horror merchandise, Swope. And with me, as always, is Preston Duck Daddy Gilland. What's up, buddy? Quack, quack, motherfuckers. <laughs> hmm. There we go. And we are once again flying as just a duo this time around because Steven is still uh, finishing getting things set up in his new office. So hopefully we should have him back again sometime soon. Maybe maybe two episodes from now, I think, is <laughs> what we should shoot for. Yeah. Steve's like we'll that see. elusive 13 Nightmares episode. He'll be back. We just don't know when. <laughs> Wow, that cut deep. <laughs> that was a multi-level blow, Jeebus. <laughs> and with Stephen, we will have the long-fabled uh, Late Night Volume 4 with the Londo Erotica. Uh, we just can't do it without Steve because, you know, he's a very integral part of that. Uh, <laughs> what do you call that? Storytelling? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Radio Sto- docudrama? Story time with Steve. Yeah, man, we really need someone else in there. You know, we can't carry the weight by ourselves. Yeah. Yep. In this case, Samwise just won't do. We we need we need uh, Frodo and Gollum all combined. <laughs> yeah, no shit, right? <laughs> hey, I'll play the part of Gollum. Even we'll give Steve uh, Samwise. Okay, fair enough. And you can be our Frodo. I'll be the ring bearer. I'll be the bearer of that burden, baby. Hmm. Well, everybody, sorry we had to postpone till Saturday. Just uh, lots of stuff going on, lots of irons in the fire, and uh, my wife had to have foot surgery on Wednesday, and we'll fast forward to the end of that story. So far, she's doing great. As great as you can do when somebody screws a hole in your foot to remove a broken screw and then breaks your toe and straightens it back out with another screw. Ooh. And Bruce yeah. had to get a finger up his ass, so. <laughs> oh, Brucey boy. Yeah, your, yeah. Uh, your dog had to get his booty hole looked at, man. Mm-hmm. How's he? Yeah. How's he doing? Doing all right? Uh, I mean, so far so good. He's uh, being an older dog, um, almost like you know he's going on eleven. And boxers are are prone to, to getting uh, bladder cancer, and so he was oh. pissing some blood and some other issues, and we were really nervous it was the cancer. So we went and got him checked out, and the, the old doc uh, lubed up her finger and shoved it right up his ass and took away his manhood. And uh, mm-hmm. instead of having bladder cancer, he's got prostate problems. And, uh, you know, they don't make a Flomax or other, uh, you know, prostate drugs for dogs. And so their solution for old Bruce is chopping his nuts off after he goes through two weeks of antibiotics. And uh, so next hmm. Wednesday, uh, Bruce is literally going to be half the man he used to be. But you know what? As far as like getting your dog neutered, he's had a pretty long run. Like, yeah. to be a dog that still has nuts, like, <laughs> yeah, he had a pretty solid run at it. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize he still had them. So, well, yeah. you know, when well, I, he'll it, be fine. Yeah, he'll be fine. I adopted him when he was five, and he had him, and then I felt kind of bad. And you know, he was always jumping the fence looking for uh, you know other doggies to uh, mm-hmm. inseminate the neighborhood and. So he he yeah. he lived a good life, and now he's going to calm down and pay child support. 
<laughs> Jesus. <laughs> wow. Doggy child support. Yeah. Well, man, it seems like the last month has been nothing but just, man, we've had issues with, you know, family health, personal health, animal health, and it's just been one thing after another, it feels like. Air conditioner health. Jesus, air conditioner. Yeah, no kidding, man. Steven's moving amongst all this. So, yeah, sorry. The the shows have been a little light lately, but uh, we'll get we'll get back to it. We just don't want to commit to too much, and, and recording times have been kind of staggered, and research time's been a little thin. But, yeah, we got some pretty fun stuff lined up. Like we talked about last time on our last episode, we were going to be beginning to talk about flying humanoids, um, a topic that's kind of turned into something rather interesting because this phenomenon, just like everything else, uh, you know, goes back hundreds of years, and it's a very, very deep well of stories to journey down into, so... Yesterday, uh, during Shayla's foot surgery in the waiting room at the hospital, I started reading Strange Creatures from Time and Space. It's an older book written by John Keel of Mothman Prophecies fame. And also, I began thumbing through The Inhumanoids by Barton M. Nunley, I believe an author from Kentucky. I, I think Rob probably mentioned this guy's book before on early, early episodes. Um, we were actually going to try to get Barton on the show, and that fell through, but... Anyway, we've been uh, doing some deep diving into flying humanoid and flying entity cases that, you know, go far beyond bat squash and stuff like that. And so with last week's news story about the Jetpack Man, uh, in case you missed that episode, basically last year there was a dude wearing a jetpack that was buzzing by planes at LAX. Somewhere to the tune of like, what, 3,000 feet up? Is that what we said on that uh yeah. That story, 3,000 feet up. Like a little old ro- rocketeer. Yeah, right. And then this year, uh, more pilots are basically complaining and reporting that some jackass in a jetpack is up at 5,000 feet now, being uh, reportedly seen by more than just LAX. Um, I think he was seen by a Chinese airline pilot as well and some other folks too, so... I don't know if we we talked about it on the show. Maybe it was just like a conversation you and I had in private, but there <laughs> one of our private conversations. Yeah, there was a uh, individual that you came across um, at at a place one time that wanted us to come out and b- basically look at his gear because he was like a real life Tony Stark, like he had built an Iron Man suit that could fly. Or was like in the process of building it? Oh, yeah. I met a guy um, who I went to high school with and then lost touch with who was claiming he had made an anti-gravity device that he was getting ready to sell to the U.S. Army. Um, and nothing came of it. <laughs> I didn't pursue it because I didn't know about the uh, legitimacy of it. And, you know, that's kind of where it left. I might, I might follow up on him. I know who you're talking about. Uh, it's been a couple years since I chatted with him. I might follow up and see where that's at. But uh, Mystery solved, bro. Mystery solved. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> or it might have just gotten a lot deeper. But yeah, thanks for reminding me about that. And uh, I'll, I'll check up with that guy and see how that went. But yeah, anyway, the Jetpack Man um, headlines kind of got us thinking about, you know, this is not the first time we've heard of headlines ringing out about people seeing flying humanoids. Whether it be men with jetpack or, you know, single person helicopters from back in like the 1800s, mm-hmm. man's dream of flying has, you know, just about been a thing since man was 
really started writing books. Yeah. <laughs> Wanting to see what it's like up in the heavens, see what it's like to be a bird. And, you know, so we have the Wright brothers who really pioneered things. You had Leonardo da Vinci that had flying machines. The first Marvel movie really was the Rocketeer that came out in the early 90s and it bombed. Like, everybody thinks Iron Man was what set it off, but it was really the Rocketeer. Yeah, that is very true. And what's funny is um, I haven't watched The Rocketeer in a long time, but we have a restaurant out here. I think it's called Hangar One out on West Kellogg. Yep. And it's out there near the airport. And I think if I remember right, they had an actual prop movie used Rocketeer suit. Their drinks um, are really good. There. The food is okay, but the fucking ranch is amazing. <laughs> Come for the subpar steaks. Stay for that sweet, sweet. Is that packet made ranch? I don't know, but Steakhouse Ranch is pretty fucking great. Yeah. My buddy Seth lives up in San Diego, California, and he actually ran into Billy Campbell, who played the Rocketeer at a organic supermarket. Whoa. And, you know, being the real cool guy Seth is, um, he waited till Billy, well, this sounds like he's stalking him. He waited till Billy was in a aisle by himself and walked up and casually just said, hey, I don't want to make any, you know, waves. I don't want to bring attention to you, but I love your movies. Rocketeer is one of my favorite things. I really love the killing. And, you know, I just wanted to say how much I appreciate you as an actor and, you know, the stuff you do outside of acting. And he's just like, hey, cool, man, shook his hand and offered to take a photo with him and. Nobody else happened to come around the corner, so the guy got to finish his shopping and get the hell out. Yeah. Kind of like that time I saw Harrison Ford at the Panera Bread here in Wichita. But you didn't get his, uh, you didn't get a photo with him or an autograph, so... <sighs> no, and you know what, dude? Like, I wanted to so bad. My, my first inclination was to run home and find something, you know, Star Wars related or Jurassic, not, not Jurassic Park, <laughs> Indiana Jones related... And run up there and be like, can you sign this, Mr. Ford? But I'm like, no, he's just a dude. Just another dude who wants to eat his fucking panini and be left alone. So mm, yeah. we did walk by. You know, we made a, a very out-of-our-way trip around the restaurant to walk by him as we left. And he looked up and Shayla smiled at him and he winked at her. And I looked over at him and he looked at me and smiled and I said... Dr. Jones, and I winked at him, and he smiled real big and winked back, and then went back to his soup. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, shit. What do you do? But yeah. There, we talked about the Rocketeer and Star Wars. Ooh, nerds. Since the dawn of man, humans have dreamt of leaving the safety of the ground and soaring amongst the clouds above. Throughout our history, many have attempted this marvel, and with the turn of the century came two American brothers, creating the first ever sustainable flying machines. And man's dream was now more obtainable. Next, pop culture exploded with the birth of cape-clad supermen flying effortlessly through the skies. But what if man was not the only being capable of flight? What if other creatures, more malicious than man himself, occupied the skies of this planet, soaring through the heavens? Join us now for part one of our journey into the mysterious phenomenon of flying humanoids.
On a cool afternoon on July 6, 1948, in Chalhalis, Washington, just after 3 p.m., a woman by the name of Bernice Zykowski was out tending her yard on her farm when out of nowhere, above her, she heard a bizarre sizzling and whizzing sound. She covered her brow with her hand to shield from the sun and glanced up just in time to see the source of the noise, a sight that she had a very hard time believing herself. Up in the sky, nearly 200 feet above her, was a man flying above her barn. The strange flying man had two metallic wings coming from his shoulders, which appeared to be attached with a set of straps, and that on his chest looked like, to Bernice anyway, a control panel of sorts with various knobs and switches. And after hovering and zipping back and forth a few times, the man then retracted the wings close to his body and started floating upward into the sky without flapping his wings, almost like he was wearing a jetpack. Now, fearing that nobody would believe her in what she witnessed, Bernice was surprised when a group of school children that were passing by her house rushed into her backyard, asking Bernice if they could stay with her and watch the funny flying man that they saw while walking home from school. Now, three months later, in April of 1948, in the city of Longview, Washington, a Miss Viola Johnson and a Mr. James Pittman were outside hanging up laundry when they heard a bizarre buzzing noise above their heads and then witnessed three helmeted men flying around in similar manner to the winged man that Bernice Zykowski saw, except for this group of men wore no wings or motors or propellers. Yet the couple claimed they could hear motor-like buzzing noises coming from the three beings. They said the men looked like they came straight out of Flash Gordon, wearing pointy helmets and tight-fitting flight suits. Even more oddly, however, is that Mr. Pittman claimed the trio of Rocketeers all had a look on their faces that looked very much like a human's that seemed as though they were all perplexed like they were confused and looking for something down on the ground. After a few moments of circling above the couple, however, the men buzzed off into the horizon, apparently not finding whatever it was they were looking for. And a strikingly similar case was reported eight years later in Fall City, Nebraska, on a fall afternoon in 1956. A Mr. John Hanks saw a winged creature fly about 15 feet above the ground, its wings were shiny like aluminum and had multicolored lights running along their underside. The wings, which spanned 15 feet across, were clearly attached to the man by means of a shoulder harness. The flying man also had some kind of strange control panel attached to his chest, which he manipulated with a series of dials as he flew by. This sighting would be attributed to some remarkable invention if not for the witness's description of the man himself. The creature had leathery, wrinkled skin, large, Ooh. watery blue eyes, Ooh. and a face that was very frightening, almost demonic. The witness also attested that he was paralyzed with fear as this quote-unquote man flew above him. 
and he wouldn't be the only one in Nebraska to report this bizarre humanoid with wings, as other people came forward later, reporting they saw the same thing flying over their farmyards. Now, Preston, we talked about recording this, and you Mm -hmm. had mentioned something about a Mothman of sorts out of Texas. And oddly enough, the story you wanted to tell actually is in this book, Strange Creatures from Time and Space. So I'll let you tell your story because you got a little bit deeper dive into what happened than I do. Oh, yeah. So you probably heard of Mothman of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, especially if you listen to this show. We're always hamming it up for our old pal, Mothy. Next to Bigfoot, I could probably say Mothman is our favorite cryptid. And that's right. We're Indeed. looking at you, Messy Nessie, at the bottom of that fucking list. <laughs> <laughs> Again, the Messy Nessie, a delicious sandwich from the Paranormal Egg Experience food truck here in Wichita. But a lame-ass cryptid. Anyways. <laughs> the 1960-era sightings of a bizarre winged creature in Point Pleasant became the basis of a book by John Keel, which turned uh, became uh, the basis for the Richard Gere movie titled The Mothman Prophecies. Decent movie, in my opinion. I know a lot of people like to shit on it, but... Uh, yeah, horrible movie, in my opinion. <laughs> Uh, that that scene where like he's in the hotel room and you freeze frame it at just at the right time you get to see the reflection of Mothman in the mirror creep me right. the fuck out. So, anyways, Mothman is famous, but Texas has its own earlier sighting of a similar creature. Sean, have you heard of the Houston Batman? Uh, not until yesterday, I had not heard <laughs> of the Houston Batman. Oh. Uh, but please tell me in your own words, Preston about the Houston Batman. Well, it all began one night in June 18th, 1953. A young Houston housewife named Hilda Walker was sitting on her porch at the, of her house on East 3rd Street along with her neighbors, Judith Mayer, 14, uh, 14, and Howard Phillips, 33. It was a peaceful, though very hot night, and what happened next shocked the trio. Well, 25 feet away, I saw a huge shadow across the lawn. I thought at first it might have been the magnified reflection of a big old moth caught in a nearby street light. Then the shadow seemed to bounce upward into a pecan tree. We all looked up, and that's when we saw it. She went on to describe the entity as being essentially manlike in shape, sporting a pair of bat style wings, dressed in black, you know, tight fitting outfit like you know Mm -hmm. spandex or whatever like i don't know batman and surrounded by an eerie glowing haze the trio all confirmed that the monster's form stood about six and a half feet tall and also agreed that the strange glow engulfing him was yellow in color kind of like you know the little symbol on batman's chest just saying the batman vanished when the light slowly faded out and right about the same time that Meyer issued an ear-curdling scream. We heard a loud swoosh over the house, across the street. It was like the white flash of a torpedo-shaped object. We heard so much about flying saucer stories, and I thought all those people were telling stories, and they were crazy. But now I don't know what to believe. I may be nuts, but I saw it. Whatever it was, I sat there stupefied. I was amazed. Well, we looked across the street and saw a flash of light rise from another tree and take off like a jet. 
So, you know, usually, like, when we cover these stories, it's really hard to find, like, you know, the original newspaper, you know, clipping. So when we're doing the research, a lot yeah. of times, like, the websites, they'll just kind of, they'll recount uh, what was said. So I was actually able to find um, on Ancestry.com, of all places, an actual, cl- yeah, yeah, clipping, oh. an actual clipping of the uh, the, the original news article um, from the 50s. And here it says, the mysterious white light. They said after the Batman perks in the tree a few moments while they sat there paralyzed and watched, a mysterious white flame and smoke shot from behind him and a burning object like a flying paintbrush scooted across the horizon and the Batman faded from view. Mrs. Meyer says she got home just in time to see the flying paintbrush scoot across the sky and another roamer, age 71, said he saw a weird shadowy fella in the tree, though he said he merely went back in and went to bed. The walkers agreed it couldn't have been their imagination and said they were so upset that they were thinking about returning to Byron from where they moved only three months ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, what's funny about pop culture and, you know, science fiction back in those days is it was so fresh and new. You know, I always read these stories and think, my God, these people are just a bunch of fucking milk slops. Everybody's <laughs> chicken shit, you know. I yeah. see the Batman in the trees and I had to run away. <laughs> but I mean, I guess back in the time, like, all you had were, you know, funny papers and comic books. and Yeah. It's funny they called him Batman because I guess Batman was made back in like 19, either March or May 1939. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's cool to hear that they actually attribute it to looking a lot like the Batman. Yeah. So it's been nearly 70 years since the flying humanoid was reported by Walker. But has something similar been witnessed more recently? Why, yes, a former resident of Houston, researcher and author Ken Gearhard, made valiant attempts to locate the address on East 3rd Street where the event took place and discovered it was no longer in existence. It has seemingly been overtaken by the expansion of the nearby Interstate 10, and strangely, and perhaps more appropriately, the location has apparently vanished into the void much like the Batman did For a while at least, because several years after he first heard about the exploits of the Batman, a close friend of Gearhart told him about the experience of a number of employees at a Houston Bel Air theater who claimed to have seen a gigantic helmeted man crouched down and attempting to hide on the roof of a downtown city building late one night during the 1990s. Now... The information on this encounter is paper fucking thin, like mummy skin thin. So (laughs) when all else fails, I figured why not turn to the internet sleuths themselves? Um, Mm -hmm. And I think maybe Reddit might have cracked the case on this one um, because that's where all the hard-hitting detectives are at. So <laughs> very true. Yeah. Very fair, a, very true. A a redditor or a, a had created a, a, a subreddit of this and uh it had the part of a, a newspaper clipping, not from the one that I read from, but from another one. Mm-hmm. And so you know, everybody's commenting uh left and right, and this guy got a lot of shit, like a lot of downvotes, but I think he might have cracked the case because he's he says We have been unsuccessful finding any trace of the original eyewitnesses to this strange encounter. So, A, no one found slash interviewed these people in 65 years, question mark. B, 
Not a single instant of anyone else claiming to have seen this one-off Batman in 65 years. And C, the unearthly and, and completely unverified encounter hit the paper a week after it came from outer space, hit the local theaters. So, most likely explanation made up from the whole cloth to sell papers. And then he says, edit, instead of downvotes, you could propose a more likely scenario and provide information I'm missing. I know it would be cool for there to be such a thing, but it's extremely unlikely that we went millions of years without anyone seeing one Batman except for this one time and there being nothing remotely similar in fossil records. Being mistaken about what they saw or being pranked uh, are the are the distant second and third possibilities. Anything beyond that is a wild conjuncture with no evidence. Man, calm down, random law student. Yeah, and you know, while I'm huge on uh, you know, cryptids, and I love this shit, you know, the fact that he brings up that all this came, you know, out right after a time that it came from outer space, hit local theaters, and mm-hmm. nobody's been able to find these people to interview him in sixty-five years. Yeah, maybe the Houston Batman is a bunch of shit, but I'm not going to dismiss <laughs> anything else we're talking about because the other stuff could be legit. Well, and you know, too, the counter to that would be that, especially back then in the 50s, you can get locked away in a funny house for saying that kind of shit. Oh, yeah. Like, if you came out and said, like, yeah, I was out walking my dog one night, and this guy jumped out of the bushes wearing a pointy helmet and had, you know, fangs for teeth and shot blue fire out of its mouth and attacked me. See right here, it tore my blouse. They'd be like, okay. Especially if you're a female back then, yeah, you're crazy as bat shit, and uh, we're going to lock you up and take away your dog. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, so I mean, you wouldn't want to come forward and say that. Now, Gearhard in the in the book that he you know talks about the Houston Batman, he mm-hmm. had actually pointed out that throughout the, like a five year period, maybe six year period, when this took place, mm-hmm. they were there were a bunch of reports of like people in trees, or like mm-hmm. women were walking mm-hmm. down the street, and then they were attacked. And those uh, those attacks and then how that person like, you know, jumped and kind of flew all around was very, mm-hmm. very similar to Spring Hill Jack encounters in England, almost like 100 years earlier. And exactly. I've uh, I've got those attacks queued up here. If you want me to go through them. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Did you get the did you get the one about the guy that ended up being like a mm-hmm, um... mm-hmm. let's not let's not spoil it. <laughs> OK, OK, because that could actually be. Our Reddit sleuth answer to all of this. Ooh, all right. I'll let you take over. I'm done. My work okay, here. So, done. like you said, <laughs> after the 1953 sighting of the quote unquote Houston Batman by Hilda Walker and, and uh, Judy Myers and Howard Phillips, there were several other supposed tree phantom attacks throughout Texas. It turns out that just like the, um, oh, what was his name? Spring Hill Jack attacks. Mm-hmm. Many of these were bizarre phantoms that were hiding in trees or hiding behind fences, jumping out, attacking people. The Lubbock Evening Journal for May 22nd, 1953. Hey, hell yeah, shout out to Lubbock. That's where I was born. <laughs> the, Lubbock, the Lubbock Evening Journal for May 22nd, 1953 bore the headline, Phantom Attacker Strikes in Full View of Two Officers. The article tells the story of Betty Lee Jameson, a young woman who was walking on Richmond Avenue when a man lunged from a crowd, knocked her to the ground, and fled while four men then chased him in pursuit. 
two policemen, and two men who were coming out of a nearby bar. The man still escaped. Frank Murray of Houston Police Department told the newspaper that it was a 13th such attack in the space of one year. Then the Mexia Daily News for June 12th, about a week before the sighting of Batman in Houston, reported yet another attack. This time, a woman was driving in her car when a bizarre creature approached her vehicle when she stopped the car and rolled the window down. The creature reached in and pulled her from the car, again running off and jumping into the darkness. But yet even more attacks, even after the sighting of the man in the tree. On May 7, 1954, the Galveston Daily News reported that an attack had taken place only two days before but it was dealt with with no more than a passing manner. Once again, no witnesses could be found. But regardless of the bizarre attacks of quote-unquote Texas spring Hill Jack, on May 6, 1954, an underwear-clad man described as a prominent Houstonian superintendent of a Houston hospital was arrested and charged with indecent exposure and vagrancy after police received several calls, he was driving around town fully in the nude. Now, he admitted to driving around naked, flashing himself to people, but he denied any involvement of the bizarre Spring Hill Jack phantom-esque attacks throughout Houston when they questioned him. In an El Paso Herald post made on April 13, 1953, carried the story of yet another attacker described as a dark man in black who robbed and attacked women and in one case murdered somebody in the vicinity of Waco. This very well may have been a criminal, but was also tossed into the alleged phantom attacks nonetheless. So as you can see, back then there was some kind of weird Texas Batman running around attacking folks. Mm-hmm. I'm not Spring Hill Jack, I just wanted to flash my dick. <laughs> yeah, anyway, lots of weird stuff going on. And I mean, in Texas, too, you have other winged creatures like La Lachusa, uh, you know, the, the the owl witch and other things. So, I don't know, man, lots of weird stuff. I ought to reach out to some of my relatives over there and see if anybody else has any other stuff to chime in about. Mm-hmm. Well, let's shift gears here a little bit because... We've been talking a lot about flying humanoids who are men, but that's not fair, and we are equal opportunity here. So let's talk about some flying female humanoid attacks. On the early evening at 3.15 a.m. on Friday, January 16, 2004, a police officer named Leonardo Samaniego from Guadalupe, New Mexico, was out doing his daily routine in his patrol car around Colonia Valles de la Silla, not knowing he was about to experience something truly shocking with no way to explain beyond the paranormal. The evening was cold and dark, and the streets were empty, when Salmon Diego made a turn onto Alamo Street and immediately noticed something very unusual. A huge black object fell from a tree beside the street he was patrolling. But the bizarre shape stopped just before touching the ground and slowly landed, turning itself to face the patrol car. At that moment, the officer knew something was wrong. 
So he turned on the high beams of his car to see what this black object was that fell from the tree. And that's where the nightmare began. It was a woman, all dressed in black, that fell from the tree. But she didn't touch the ground. She just remained floating several feet above the ground. I saw her very well, and she landed softly on the ground and stood there looking at me. She was trying to cover her face from the light of the car, I think because the headlights were bothering her, but I could see two big black eyes, completely black, without eyelids, and her skin was a dark brown. She was dressed in what looks like all black, with a cloak or some kind of cape like a witch would wear, and she seemed very upset by the lights of my patrol car. In a matter of seconds... The scene then turned into a terrifically terrifying sequence of events, almost like a horror film. The being then jumped very quickly over onto the patrol car, trying to get in while the shocked police officer tried to run away in reverse, all while shouting desperately for backup to assist him via the radio. That's a bunch of hell no for me, Bob. <laughs> mm that sounds a lot like that that tree owl mm-hmm or rather tree witch so any hoozle we sandwich all these stories between yet another more modern news story because on our last episode i wanted to talk about this story that just hit headlines a few weeks ago but you know like i said everything came up and we didn't have time to actually jump into it but if you remember back on episode 1965, The Mothman Returns, I think we titled it. Titled it. We episode nine, 1965. Is that what long, I said? Boy. Yeah. How long have we been the fucking future. doing this shit? <laughs> yeah, this shit. If you remember back on episode 165, <laughs> The Mothman Returns, we talked about some more recent sightings of the Mothman up at old Chicago O'Hare Airport. Well, presto, old buddy, old pal, guess who's back in the headlines? Mothy? Old mm-hmm. Mothman. Old Mothman. Or Mothwoman, moth person, perhaps. Yeah. This came from the singular4tn.com. A reporter, na- I'm sorry, I should say researcher, a researcher named Manuel Navarrete of UFO Clearinghouse recently published an account from three witnesses who claimed to have seen security detachment respond to a winged humanoid seen outside the United Cargo Facility at Chicago's O'Hare International Airport. The sightings reportedly took place on Thursday, July 22nd, near 10.30 p.m. Now, this is from the witness. I was walking to my car with two of my friends after getting off of work. We were talking about the day and how it felt good to get off and head home. As we approached the car, I saw something moving across the street on the other side of the fence. It was dark, but you could easily see it as the entire area was lit up. And there was a plane that had been brought up near the fence for unloading and loading. And there was a lot of activity around this plane. As we walked, I pointed it out to my friends, and they also saw the same thing. About this time, a white SUV came driving up with the emergency lights flashing and came up to a halt on the road on the other side of the fence. Two men jumped out and shined flashlights on this person, prompting the person to turn around 
and stare back at them. It looked to be about six or seven feet tall, with a very dark shade of gray, almost black, and had what looked like two large glowing red eyes, but that could have been from the flashlights being shined in his direction. About ten seconds after the first vehicle arrived, another came on the same side of the fence as this person and illuminated the person with its headlights. I remember hearing my friend say, Lord have mercy, as we watched the scene unfold in front of us. It was about this time the person opened up what looked like a pair of giant bat wings and flew up into the air. As it flew up over the people that were now gathered around, it let out a screech that sounded a lot like train brakes or the brakes from a large truck. It flew around in a large circle twice, screeching, and then it flew out over the fence and toward the runways and the terminals off in the distance. As we watched, a white pickup truck with TSA with a TSA emblem came up toward us with its emergency lights on and told us and the others who had gathered in the parking lot to clear out, get in our cars, and leave the area immediately. So we did as we were told, and we drove off through the parking lot. And we saw another three marked vehicles, and just as many unmarked vehicles, pull onto the street and into the parking lot with their lights on. I took my friends home, and we all talked extensively about it. One of my friends who worked the later shift at the United told me that the airport security and TSA were in the area and asking people who stepped outside to please go back in for their safety and were out there for at least an hour to an hour and a half. Now, what struck out as odd to them was the fact that the entity was so close to the fence and it was clad in almost all black. And in contrast to the high visibility attire worn by the guard personnel in the area, one of the witnesses said she initially was worried that it was a person who hopped the fence and was going to approach the nearby plane. The witness said that there were multiple ground personnel working in the area and in the control tower that was 100 yards away, which probably prompted the immediate response by airport security and the TSA. When asked to describe the entity, all three gave a pretty close description of a solid black entity, about six to seven feet tall, and when it turned to face security personnel, it was described as having glowing red eyes, but the witnesses could not agree if the eyes were self-illuminating or simply reflecting the light of the security person's flashlight. All three witnesses did describe the entity to have a large set of bat-like membranous wings that were approximately 10 to 12 feet in width, and that it did flap them to get into the air. All three described the noise the entity made as sounding like train brakes or truck brakes, and all three described the sound as being very loud. The entity did circle the area at least twice, which is something that until now has not been described by prior witnesses of the Mothman at the O'Hare Airport. The entity then flew off north toward the active runways. Now, all three witnesses did describe their response by airport security and TSA as aggressive and swift. They described that they were, they were asked to leave the area immediately with no uncertain terms. This is also unprecedented compared to other sightings by the response of airport security because those responses were not as swift nor as aggressive as this one. 
Now, again, this came from singular14.com. It's a very stellar website, also with a lot of really great books, one of which is about recent Lake Michigan Mothman sightings that I do need to finish reading so we can report on that mm-hmm. as well. You know what uh, blows my mind about this is the fact that, you know, they're talking about how, like, you know, it took off and it had, like, these big, you know, bat-like wings. But then what really stuck out to them, like, you know, the thing that they just kept focusing on was the fact that, well, I mean, its eyes were red, but we're not sure if it naturally glowed red or because, uh, you know, we put our flashlights on it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Since when in all fucking human history have you ever shined a light on your buddy's eyes or anybody's eyes in the middle of night? Have they ever shined fucking red? No human has red fucking eyes. So obviously something's not right right there. Regardless of whether it has natural like glowing eyes or if you shine a flashlight on it, they're fucking red. That's like, you know, a fucking demon or some shit. Yeah. And I mean, what's bizarre too is I've never met another human that had eyes shine when you shine a flashlight in their eyes. Yeah. Like my dog and my cat, it looks wicked sometimes and the light's right or I shine a flashlight at them or whatever. But I've never known any human to have that same type of response in their eyes when light shines into them. Yeah, it wasn't uh, it wasn't the giant 15-foot bat-like membrane wings that really got us. It was the... We just couldn't figure out the eyes. Like, was it our flashlight? <laughs> I, I don't I know. know. And a lot of these cases, too, uh, really strike me as odd because they report this same winged being or just, you know, one of many winged beings as not having a head. Either the shoulders are like, you know, scrunched up like it's going, I don't know. Or it's just like the Mothman or, um, oh, God, what's the big giant red thing's name on uh, Looney Tunes? Shit, well, I knew it before I tried saying. You know what I'm talking about? The big old red monster on Looney Tunes? No, dog. You got me okay, stumped on this on. one. Red monster. Maybe I should turn the safe search on. <laughs> <laughs> the character's often hairy red. Yeah, what the fuck's his name? Gossamer. That's his name, Gossamer. He looks like a giant furry tooth. Sometimes he has arms and sometimes he doesn't have them. That's what it reminds me of, old Mothman and all these other flying humanoids, so. There you go. All right. Well, let's cut it there, folks, and we'll be back next time around. Please check out the Instagram, PXL Paranormal. Please check out the Facebook page, thepixelatedparanormalpodcast.com. I know I promised T-shirt updates. I'll get this for you guys um, by next week, if not over the weekend. I just got to get with my neighbor. Um, everything has happened so crazily lately that I haven't had a chance to go up to the shop and get the uh, final quote. But, yep, those are on the way. So sorry, that's taking a little longer than I want. Preston, what do you got, man? And as always, if you need a beard, if you want a beard, if you want to grow the sexiest Batman, Mothman beard that you could possibly grow, then go over to BigDobsBeardBomb.com. And for my buddy Josh, who just messaged me tonight that he ordered up some Beard Bomb but couldn't remember the promo Ooh. code, it's oh. P-X-L-P-A-R-A. And that, my friends, will get you 20% off your order where you can save on succulent scents like Bay Rum, Sweet Tobacco, Fresh, and Josh said he ordered classic, so he's going to let me know um, how the classic oh, works. So get it all. Get it at Dobbs. And after you go, you know, put the shit in your face and make your, you know, your face glisten 
and you're all like sexy like Fabio, go promote our YouTube <laughs> channel page because we're up to like 207 subscribers and or 107 subscribers, <laughs> but we should be at now 200. Now who's bad at math? Yeah, yeah, we should be at 207. So uh, yeah, we could. You know, we really ought to. Yeah, we could be with your help. I'm just saying, you know, help some guys out, <laughs> promote that shit for go. us. There you go. We uh, Speaking of listeners and subscriptions, we got another five-star rating on the old iTunes. So thank you, whoever that was. Now, I'd like to up the ante and say, leave us a review as well. Ratings are great. We love it. We love you. Now leave us a review and tell us what you like and maybe what you want to hear. That's yeah. only going to help us climb the ever-expanding ladder of these podcasts, but that's cool. We're not out to be the best, guys. We're just out to be the best we can be. And we have fast surpassed 400 followers on the Instagram account, so let's shoot for the moon and try to hit 500 before the end of the year. I bet you we can do it. I bet we can. And also, I want to say something kind of heartfelt here, too. Um, You know, starting a podcast, like Presto, you and I had no idea what we were doing, but we Mm -hmm. did know we loved podcasts. And for the most part, I think all the podcasts in the paranormal community and, and otherwise... It seems to me like it's all just one giant supportive group, which I think is really badass because, you know, on Instagram, we're talking to other podcasts and getting support from other podcasts. And it's really something pretty badass because I've always said, you know, when other podcasts approach us, in my opinion, you know, I won't speak for Presto and Steven, but I think in our opinion, collectively, there's a lot of room at the table for everybody. And, you know, we will probably, I say probably, I won't say never, we'll probably never be one of the great big dog, you know, big dogs, great big dogs in the very tip top of the podcast industry. But, you know, by God, it's nice to just be noticed. It's nice to uh, have the camaraderie here from other shows. So, yeah. And, uh, you know, uh, uh, all the podcasts that I listen to, because I listen to a lot, um, you know, I, I, I've noticed that the some of the ones that I've picked up, they just weren't my cup of tea. I, I just, mm-hmm. you know, didn't jive with how the, the hosts were presenting the information. It doesn't mean that that podcast is not good. It just didn't catch for me. And mm-hmm. uh, so I think that uh, – well, what the fuck am I trying to say? <laughs> I mean, that's why there's so much room, room for the table because – Everything, even though we cover some of the same topics, we're covering it in our way and we're covering it in a different light. And uh, so, you know, if if you have friends that listen to Paranormal Podcasts, promote us, you know, tell them to give us a listen. Yeah, that would be great. Like you said, you said it really well. The topics, although very vast, are also a somewhat small well to pick from. So I see a lot of podcasts that we're friends with online. They'll cover the same, you know, topic. And I'll think, oh, holy shit. Like our episode about such and such topic was only, you know, 45 minutes. These people are doing like a three-parter. And then I'll listen to another one and be like, oh shit, their episode's only 26 minutes. Ours is a two-parter. So, I mean, it's just fun to be able to, oh, there's, sorry guys for the siren. Sounds like uh Old five O's on somebody. Ho, po. Po, po, ho. Um, anyway, yeah. Uh, it's just the amount of research you can do or not do, uh, as we have probably demonstrated, is yeah. a very large sliding scale. 
um, things come up a lot. Like, you know, I wanted this episode on flying uh, humanoids and creatures to be two hours long. Sometimes, you know, life gets in the way and you just don't have time to do the full research that, you know, a topic deserves. So, I mean, you may hear a whole other side of a story or brand new facts from other podcasts. And I think that's cool, man. I think it's fun to expand and check out other shows. Don't forget about us. I'm not yeah. saying forget about us, baby. Come back. Yeah, come but, back. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Baby, come back. <laughs> we can blame it all on Steve. Yeah. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. But yeah, any hoozle. There we go. Enough gushy stuff. Guys, thank you so much for listening. If you're in the Wichita area, please stop by and see the lovely Leslie and the rest of the gang at CD Trade Post at Pawnee and Seneca. Mm-hmm. And until next time, again on behalf of Big Steve, cheers to the weird shit in the world and to those of us that love to talk about it. And stay spooky and stay on the paranormal highway, baby. The cast at Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. Email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange.